thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast Extra Time. I'm your host Conor Bromley and I'm joined today by Umar from Football London and we're going to digest all the Premier League football from this past weekend. And Uwa, I know you're focused on Arsenal, but unfortunately they are not the main event from this weekend. Even though they did drop points, surprisingly, against Fulham. We have to start, though, with Liverpool's comeback win yesterday against Newcastle at St. James's Park. And eagle-eyed viewers who are watching this live will see that I do have a little bit of Sunderland <laughs> stuff uh, behind me in my backdrop. So I was pleased, it's fair to say, uh, when... Liverpool got that late winner through Darwin Nunes. But what did you make of that game yesterday, Umar? And what does this result tell us about both these teams, but in particular Liverpool, who I think have come under quite a lot of scrutiny so far this season and, of course, last season as well? Yeah, definitely. I think it shows that Liverpool will be there and thereabouts um, come May when the trophies are being handed out because... I know a lot has been said about the transfer dealings throughout the window. They missed out on some key players in terms of Rolly Lavia, Moises Caicedo, but they still have some talented player amongst their ranks. Mohamed Salah, um, obviously he's a difference maker. Virgil van Dijk, I know he got uh, sent off um, yesterday, but they've got match winners in their team. Uh, players that have won big trophies in the past few seasons, the Champions League, Premier League titles. You saw Alisson Becker yesterday. For me, he's the best goalkeeper in the division. Um, if he doesn't make that stop from Miguel Almiron, the game is over. So again, in, in the key moments, Liverpool have players that can make a difference. And it shows that Liverpool should be um, talked about as being potential Titan challengers. I know they probably still need a bit of work. What is like four days left of the transfer window. And if I'm looking from afar, I still think they need a centre-back and I still think they need to strengthen in midfield. But if they do manage to get um, those two players that they need, Liverpool have the capabilities of pushing matches to see all the way. Jurgen Klopp, you know um, his battles in the past with Pep Guardiola, Liverpool were one of Manchester City's fiercest challengers, rivals, before Arsenal um, came about. So it was a fantastic comeback. Fantastic comeback. I never expected it when Virgil van Dijk was sent off. But again, it shows Liverpool have the quality. Darwin Nunez, so much criticism labelled towards him. He's been linked, funnily enough, in the past few days to move to Chelsea. I don't think that move will be materialising before the window closes. But again players that can make an impact off the bench. And it was a perfect three points for Liverpool. And I think that would do a lot for their confidence in the weeks ahead. I mean, I haven't put this on the notes today, but what did you make of the the red card situation? Because Trent Alexander-Arnold could very easily have been sent off in the first sort of five minutes. And then the red card for Virgil van Dijk, I felt was harsh. I mean, when I saw Gary Neville, he was saying it was, you know, blatant, what's he doing? But to me, it looked like he, he, he did get, you know, touches on the ball and I just wonder had the referee not given it if VAR would have overturned it but what did you make of that maybe I'm slightly biased because I'm a Sunderland fan but I, I thought Trent should have went off but didn't I thought Van Dyke was maybe a little bit unlucky yeah I think Trent 
he should have picked up a red card, a second bookable offence, if I'm completely honest. I think the f- the thing that we see with referees these days, um, they make these decisions, but they're chopping and changing one week. They need them bit, to be a bit more consistent, to be honest. You saw with Takiro Tomiyasu's red card um, against Crystal Palace, um, picked up a red card when it may have been harsh, but judging by the rules, it was a red card. A few seasons ago during uh, COVID, Gabriel Martinelli had a similar situation uh, with this trend, um, the re- re- offence where Martinelli, I think it was against Wolves at Molyneux, he gets a quick double yellow card. I think Michael Oliver was in charge of that game. And again, I know the referee might be thinking, look, it's the fifth minute. Let me not be too harsh. Let me give him an opportunity. But you have to judge it by the rules. And the rules are, he's picked up a yellow card for, um, what was it, wasting time, throwing the ball away. And then he's stopped the counter-attack in terms of Anthony Gordon. Anthony Gordon's in and he just pushes him out of the way. So that should have been a red card. And in terms of Virgil van Dijk, I agree with you. I think it was a bit harsh, but I can understand why it was given because he is stopping a goal-scoring opportunity. But I saw Jamie Carragher um, at halftime. He was a bit aggrieved to why it was a red card. Shea Given was, um, on the contrary, he was thinking it should be a red card. But it goes both ways. I think it is harsh, but you can understand why it's been given because he stopped the player from being through on goal. I think if Isaac, I think he's going to have a good touch after that and then he's probably in on goal. He probably scores. So he stopped the goal scoring opportunity. So you can understand it. But I think the trend one should have definitely been a red card, um, to be honest. What do you make of Newcastle? Because they're... You know, I, I was texted a few friends uh, during the game being, you know, Newcastle just looks so strong. They've only got 12 players on the pitch a lot of the time. They're, they're that energetic and that sort of good on the press. Liverpool get the man sent off. They're 1-0 up and it fell flat for me. I don't know if complacency maybe came in there, but that doesn't look like the Newcastle team we saw last season. Do you think there's cracks maybe starting to show their two straight defeats? Obviously, they've played Man City and Liverpool, so, you know, it's not like they've played two lower and teams have played two good teams but it felt to me very un-Newcastle like that they didn't capitalise on that situation yesterday and picked up a win and, and say won 3-0 which is what we're kind of used to them doing. Yeah it's interesting because Eddie Howe post-match he discussed the fact that he preferred playing 11 against 11 rather than 11 against 10. He fought Newcastle um, when it was 11 versus 11. We were playing very well. The performance was at a high level. And then I agree with you. I think once Liverpool had that man uh, sent off, it did feel a bit flat. Newcastle, they still had good goal-scoring opportunities. And on another day, if they're a bit more clinical in the final third, again, which is an area I think they need to work on. They've got very good players going forward. But I think in the final third, they still lack that kind of edge in big games. Uh, Miguel Almiron, uh, Gordon, number of chances, and they should have probably scored one of them. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily in terms of crack superior, but I just think a lot of teams after last season would have figured Newcastle out. Um, I like a Newcastle to Diego Simone's Atletico Madrid teams of the past. Difficult to beat, difficult to break down. Um, defensive awareness is very good. Um, they win their duels. Um, but again, it's going to be a tough season for, for Newcastle because you need to take into the fact that they'll be back in the Champions League. That's going to be another um, objective that they have to get past. And 
let's see how they fare uh, in terms of competing both domestically and in the Champions League. But I think one key mistake that Eddie Howe made yesterday was uh, substituting Tanadi. I think once he came off, he saw the midfield, it was a bit more open. Uh, Newcastle weren't defensively solid and you saw gaps appearing. And fair play to Liverpool, they took advantage and, and they've taken the three points. And last thing on this game, Darwin Nunes, you know, we touched on already, but to me, it felt like he really announced himself, you know, to the new Premier League season. The two goals he scored were, you know, I think not many players could score them goals. You know, they were they were good, really, really good finishes, perfectly hit in the corner. He's a very, very good goalkeeper as well. And that will do him the world of confidence. But not only that, it'll do the confidence of the Liverpool team because last year, you know, he, he almost had a bit of that Diego Forlan about him when he went to Manchester United. You know, he, he was seen as a bit of a, you know, he needed millions of chances, a bit of a donkey in front of goal. Them two goals yesterday, though, showed that, you know, he, he's a genuine top-class striker and it'll do Liverpool fans and players and Nunes himself the world of good to see them two goals yesterday going. Yeah, last season there was a lot of criticism um, being targeted towards uh, Darwin Nunez. But I always thought that he's got the ingredients to be a top striker for Liverpool, but it was always going to take him a bit of time, the adjustment period to basically settle in to a new league, new culture, new surroundings. And look, one thing I think that Darwin Nunez has is great movement. I think his movement is out of this world. And... If I'm being a bit cheeky, I know Erling Haaland is very good, top striker, but if I like seeing strikers that have that movement, um, that like running in behind the defence, and I think I prefer Nunez, watching Nunez over than Erling Haaland. I'm not necessarily seeing it and saying Nunez is a better player than Erling Haaland. Not completely, but I just, as a footballing fan, I just like the way that Nunez plays. And like you just touched on, Confidence is everything in football. Like it can make or break you. And I think you saw yesterday, he came on, he impacted the game. He had a massive small post-match. And you would, it would not surprise you in the couple coming weeks that he scores more and more because two goals at St. James's Park, it's not an easy thing to do. And it's one of the hardest places to go in, in the league as of now. So I think Darwin Nunez is set for a good season. And I think Jurgen Klopp, in the past few weeks, he's decided to play at times Cody Gakpo in the number nine position. Diego Jota has played there. But in the upcoming games, he, he, he has to play Darwin Nunez because he's proved a point coming off the bench and uh, impacting the game. Okay, we're going to switch pace now to your team, Arsenal. A draw against Fulham. Uh, Fulham sort of scoring first kick of the game and last kick of the game well late in the game um, you know what went wrong for Arsenal at the weekend Mikel Arteta was pretty adamant they did enough to win the game but I think the two goals they conceded they'll be pretty disappointed when the first one of course was uh, a, a disaster really everything that could went wrong did the second goal a set piece that, that hasn't been defended properly what did you make of that? You know, and is it Arsenal fan? Is it concerning to see you drop points in that manner, which they did do, you know, on occasion last season, they, they did drop some silly points. Yeah, you know, I think in that Bournemouth game at home. Um, 
and games where they the, the did rescue a win, but very nearly threw it away. You know, what, what do you make of Arsenal's result at the weekend? And are you a little bit concerned or is it just a very minor blip? No, to be honest, uh, I am concerned um, because the start of the season, since that game against Nottingham Forest, I've looked at the performances and I've watched it uh, closely and observed it. And Arsenal have struggled to to beat these teams, um, be clinical in the final third. Defensively, I think they're not there at, at this current moment. I think Mikel Arteta, at the start of the season, he's implemented this inverted formation where he's decided to play Thomas Party as that inverted right back. Um, and I don't think it's working, to, to be honest. I think you go back to last season and the reason why Arsenal was so successful and challenged Manchester City for large parts of the season was because they had a ready-made formation in place, a 4-3-3, where they had a good structure. Ben White's relationship with Bukayo Saka was fantastic on the right-hand side. But it seems at the start of this season, he's wiped everything away and he started from scratch. And I think that's the wrong thing to do. Um, it's, it's good being unpredictable and it's good having different formations and different ideas uh, in your mind and changing it dependent on who you're playing, the opponent. But what we've seen from the first three games against Forest, against Palace, and now against Fulham, this formation's not working. And against Manchester United um, this Sunday, Mikel Arteta, for me, has to revert back to the formation that was a success last season. He has to play party in the middle with Declan Rice and Martin Odegaard. He needs to bring Zinchenko back into the fold. And he needs to start Gabriel. Gabriel being on the bench, for me, I don't understand it. And I'm in the mindset that Kai Havertz, again, I thought it was a poor performance against Fulham. Not good enough from an attacking point of view. He seemed short of confidence. But when you're spending £65 million, you need a player that's going to make an immediate impact, especially when you want to close the gap to Manchester City. Arsenal don't have the time to waste right now, to be honest. We finished second last season. We have to go again. And we have to prove that we're capable of capable of challenging Pep Guardiola's team. So I look at Ateta right now, and I think that he may be shoehorning Havertz into the team. And I think you can't afford that mistake. He's not playing well. Take him out of the firing line. You've got a massive game against Manchester United this Sunday. Go back to the formation that was winning you games, that was winning you points. And if he does do that this Sunday... Arsenal will be Manchester United because they're a better footballing team than them. But if he decides to be a bit too clever, be um, different with the formation, that will cause issues. So I am worried, but let's see what happens this Sunday against United. Do you think Arsenal do anything else in the transfer market? Or do you think they're, they're done? Um, I think it's always been dependent on outgoings. Obviously, Kieran Tierney's move to Real Sociedad uh, was finalised uh, over the weekend. A loan deal. Balogun is set to move to Monaco. So I think once those deals are completed, obviously we still have Sambi Lukonga, Nuno Tavares, Nicolas Pepe. A lot of players that those futures are still uncertain. Once we get those out of the door, I still can see one coming in. I think that Timber injury was big. I think um, losing him out, losing him for an extended period of time was a big blow to Arteta, was a big blow to Arsenal. So if there's an opportunity in the market where, say, they can get a defender, not necessarily on a permanent deal, but maybe a loan with an option to buy, I think Arsenal will do that. But 
I think right now the priority has to be trimming the squad and uh, getting the players which are not uh, part of Arteta's plans. So on a scale of 1 to 10, on the concerned meter, where are you right now? Are you happy you've got seven points for three, you know, not great performances or are you more concerned that the performance levels aren't where they need to be? No, I think it's the first the first point. I think getting seven points on the boards um, is good. Like, it's not the end of the world. Tottenham, I've got seven points. Um, and we're only two points away from Manchester City. They've got 100% record. But I think we've got big games on the horizon. We've got Manchester United um, this Sunday. Ardennes, obviously, the international break. Then we've got Everton. Notorious, poor record at Goodison Park. And I know people may say to me, look, it's Everton. They've not picked up any points. But we've got a poor record at Goodison Park. And then we've got North London derby against Tottenham, against Tottenham side, sorry, which are firing right now um, without Harry Kane. And, and they're performing very well at a very high level. So the performances need to get better. Mikel Arteta needs to find a solution. He needs to find the right players. And he needs to he needs to implement the best team. He needs to implement the best team. And if he do, does do that, Arsenal will perform better and Arsenal will start to pick up points. But until he does that, there will be uh, worrying signs. Okay, we're going to switch now to Manchester United's comeback win. And I think most people on Saturday afternoon were looking, probably if they weren't watching the game, looking at their phones thinking 2-0 against Nottingham Forest after four minutes. Got to have been fearing the worst at that point. And certainly anyone who's watched Manchester United this season will know they were dreadful against Wolves. They were dreadful last week against Tottenham. 2-0 down at home against Nottingham Forest. It, It felt like a real, you know, big moment for them and, and to turn that game around controversially I would say I think there were some decisions that maybe went in their favour which on a different day may not have done um, but to turn that around and get a 3-2 win it feels like their season is starting now that's that's kind of my interpretation of it they've got six points from three really poor performances what do you think this comeback means for Manchester United and do you think that they can you know build from this kind of like they did last year they started last season really poor as well but didn't get the points do you think that this year that poor performances but with the points means that they can go into the post international break and really kick on and and be an actual contender for trophies this season I think it relieves uh, a little bit of pressure on Eric Ten Hag because he touched on it I think the performance against Wolves was awful if we're being completely honest and then the performance against Tottenham was not the best Um, also I think Manchester United's big area where they've struggled at the start of the season um, has been the midfield I think the midfield three is too open it's too open I know Mason Mount's been a part of that but now he's injured Bruno Fernandes and Casemiro but you've got Bruno Fernandes and Mason Mount who, whose thought process is to attack. They're forward-thinking players. They're not the best defensively. And then you've got Casemiro, who's what, 31 years old? He's no spring chicken, if we're being completely completely honest. He's not the Casemiro uh, of old, but he still can impact games. I think Manchester United, say when Arsenal play them this Sunday, I think Eric Ten Hag will go a bit more defensive. Go a bit more defensive because if he decides to go with a midfield three which is more attacking I think Arsenal and Arteta will take advantage of that but the performance and the comeback against Nottingham Forest it will do the confidence good because going down to a team 2-0 
Um, the Man United fans would have been anxious. They would have been worried. They would have been frustrated because you go back to the start of the season, not the best, not the best of performances. Um, so they would have been pleased that there was a response. I think Marcus Rashford made a very good impact in that game. Um, Casemiro he scores the third goal. So it was a good performance. But if I'm a Manchester United fan, I'd still slightly be worried because conceding two goals against Nottingham Forest in what? The opening five minutes, it's not the best. It's not the best at all. And when you are potentially playing one of the teams that will challenge uh, Manchester City this season on Sunday at the Emirates, and when you're without Luke Shaw for that game, Malassia, you will need to be defensively solid because if you make the same mistakes against Arsenal, Arsenal will hurt you. And they won't be like Nottingham Forest. They will take advantage of it. So, look, three points is all that matters for Manchester United. They picked up a win. Um, it was a good response. And you have to applaud them for that. But there's still things that Manchester United and Ericsson Hag will, will be thinking about post-Forest. Uh, a lot of improvements are, are, are to be had. Do you think the concerning thing for Manchester United is the fact that a lot of their rivals seem to have got better and, and I don't know if they have because you look at you know, obviously we know that Man City are going to be in the top four we know that probably Arsenal you know seem to be a little bit ahead of them but Liverpool look better this season Chelsea look better this season we know Newcastle are strong even though they've had a bit of a, a ropey start and we know that even Aston Villa you know could test them and I know Brighton drop points in the weekend but they're also a strong team as well do you think the worry for Manchester United is that Chelsea and Liverpool's dramatic improvement because I think Chelsea, you know, I know they played Luton at the weekend who aren't the best team, but I think Chelsea look far better this season than what they did last year. I think they'll certainly be challenging for the top six. My concern with Manchester United is everyone else has went upwards and they've went sideways. I don't look at their team and think that they look much stronger than they did on the end of last season. And do you think that's a worry for Manchester United that they could almost, in a way, fall behind their rivals because their transfer business just hasn't been good enough? Yeah, it's a fair point. It is a fair point. I think aside from Anana, which I think is a good signing for Manchester United, I look at the signings that they've made, uh, Mason Mount included in that, and it doesn't really worry me if I'm an opposing fan. I look at their team and nothing screams out in terms of, wow, Manchester United are back. And even the targets that they are potentially looking for, they've been linked with Sophie Namrabat in the past few weeks. It doesn't really spell trouble if you're Manchester City or if you're Arsenal or if you're Chelsea. So in terms of that, I think you make a good point. I think the Premier League is a league which is always evolving. Like no, any four teams have um, a place in the top four at the start of the season. Maybe Manchester City, you can include that. They're going to get Champions League. But apart from that, it's, it's an open competition. Aston Villa, they they lost on the opening weekend against Newcastle United, but they've picked up two good wins following that. And they will be there and thereabouts because I think they've got a very good team. So if Manchester United are not careful, um, they could be left behind because Liverpool have the quality to challenge. Chelsea have the quality to challenge. Tottenham, as an Arsenal fan, I think they will have a better season compared to previous seasons. So... Again, Ericsson Hogg, he needs to find he needs to find the answers. He needs to find the answers. And I think questions still need to be asked about Ericsson Hogg. I saw talks um over the weekend that he may be offered a new four-year deal. 
But I think that could be too soon. I think that could be too soon. You need to assess how he does this season and whether he gets Manchester United nearer to Manchester City. If he does that, then you can say, fair enough, he's done a good job. But say, for example, if he, uh, if Manchester United fall out of the Champions League places, does he warrant a new contract? It's up for debate, isn't it? So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, but, yeah, I've not been overly impressed in terms of what Manchester United have done this summer. Okay, you mentioned there a bit on Tottenham. Um, I'm just going to finish off with some quick bits from the weekend. But Angie Ball, as it's been dubbed, and I saw Robbie Williams singing a, a song about Tottenham at the weekend as well. But are they the, the real deal? And when I say the real deal, I don't mean title contenders, but you know, are they a team that can genuinely finish in the top four this season and compete with you know Liverpool, Arsenal? Newcastle, Manchester United, or do you think maybe for them the season finishing fifth or sixth would be a, a good result? I mean, where, where do you see Tottenham right now? Yeah, I think um, I think a good season for Tottenham would be finishing fifth or sixth. I don't think they're good enough to basically get into the top four places. I think this season for Ange is going to be getting used to the players, um, basically implementing his philosophy the attacking style of football. And it's going to take time. Usually it takes two to three years to implement that style of football. And he needs to bring in his players. I know they've been linked in the past uh, 24 hours for a potential deal for Brendan Johnson of Nottingham Forest. So that's one to watch. But even if, even though I'm an Arsenal fan, Tottenham do look good going forward. I think the fans will be impressed in terms of the way um, they've been playing. Uh, obviously, they've been used to boring football, you could say with Conte, with Mourinho. So it's a fresh style of football that Ange is implementing and it, and it, they've looked good. But I think in terms of getting into the Champions League places, I don't think Richarlison's good enough to be Tottenham's number nine. And I'm not comparing him to Harry Kane because I think Harry Kane is irreplaceable. I think it will be difficult to get anyone better than Harry Kane. But I just look at Richarlison and he, if I'm a defender for an, for an opposing team, Richarlison wouldn't intimidate me, to be honest. And I know he's got a good track record for the national team, for Brazil. But when I look at him, when I look at him play for Tottenham, he, he doesn't look the same player. He doesn't look the same player. And I don't know whether that's because of confidence issues or whether he's still getting used to having that responsibility of being Tottenham's new number nine. But I just think Tottenham can do a bit better in terms of that position. James Madison, I think, is a top signing. Top, top sign. And I think I'm surprised that not many other clubs were in for him. The impact that he's made so early on for Tottenham, it's been great. I think the contributions in terms of goals, assists, he's going to be a top, top player for Tottenham. And I think he's one signing that can push Tottenham to fifth or maybe closer to the top four. But defensive issues, I think it's they're still there. For Tottenham, and I think it's going to take time for the likes of um, the new signings to settle in. But if Tottenham finish fifth and they challenge for one of the domestic cups, I think their fans won't be too bothered. They'll be impressed. And I think they realise that this is going to take time. We need to give Ange a bit of time to implement his style of play and give it a few years' time. Tottenham could be back challenging for the top four places, but I think this season may be a bit too soon for them. Man City, a late winner against Sheffield United. It was an interesting game, and one that City dominated from start to finish. But Sheffield United were pretty dogged, and I think their fans 
would be pretty happy with that performance. I know they ended up losing it in the end, but the fact that they were able to, to keep up with Man City and put in such a strong defensive performance, it must give them hope that they can improve this season. But what did you make of Man City yesterday? Do you think that, you know, potentially didn't look at the flu itself, I would say. And Haaland obviously missed a penalty as well, added to that. But it looked like a typical Manchester City performance, did it? Yeah, it didn't. But the main thing you take away from that is they still pick up wins. They still pick up wins. And they, for me, are mentality monsters. I think you look at Manchester City and it's difficult these days to get past the defence. You look at the physical prowess that um, the defenders have, Nathan Ake, Ruben Diaz, Gavido, top, top defenders, but physically they're strong. And it's it's not an easy feat to get past them. And then you go in terms of going forward, the attacking players that they have, the likes of Jack Grealish, Bernardo Silva, Erling Haaland, and for me, the best midfielder in the world right now in terms of Rodri, I think he's fantastic. He's fantastic. Um, physically, he's always at it. He plays every single game. He's never tired. He never complains. And he continues to get better year in, year on year. And I think Manchester City have got a top midfield there. And I look at Manchester City yesterday, and I know they conceded with that goal, but what was their response to go up the pitch and grab a winner? And they don't settle for a draw. They don't settle for anything less than a win. And that's the sign of champions. And that's the reason why they're the trouble winners. That's the reason why they're going for a historic fourth Premier League title. And that's the reason why they are the benchmark in this division. And for me, it's going to take some stopping. I look at the teams in and around them, Arsenal included, Liverpool included. Can't see anyone better than Manchester City right now. Okay, we'll switch to the bottom end of the league. Everton lost an early six-pointer against Wolves. Um, I've written in my notes, is this finally the season that they get relegated? I mean, I've been predicting them to go down for a few years now, but it feels now like the the, the drain is circling on Everton. They did just the they've actually started the season okay performance wise. I think I saw that they've got a pretty good XG, but still haven't scored a goal yet. Done with a late goal at the weekend against a Wolves team that lost four one at home the previous week. It looks really concerning for Everton. They still haven't rectified the striker issue that they've got. Dominic Calvert Lewin is clearly not the answer. He's he's I don't know if he's mentally struggling, which is why he's always going down injured, or if he is just that injury prone, but he doesn't look like the answer. So what happens with Everton? Are they really, really, really in danger of going down the season? Or do you think they've got enough about them to at least put up, you know, half a fight and and maybe finish 17th again? You say that. We give it a couple of weeks, they'll probably be Arsenal. <laughs> they'll probably be Arsenal and they'll probably turn it around. But I think this is probably the season that Everton get relegated. I think this is the season. I think they've not done enough in the transfer market. Also, not many people are talking about that. Not really strengthened. Uh, I know they brought in Dan Juma. Um, but apart from that, the signings have not been the best, if we're being, if we're being brutally honest. And I think Everton... They don't have the solutions going forward. And defensively, they're not the best. They're not the best. I think Connor Cody, his departure from Everton um, is a big one because he offers that experience. And I think Everton, when I watched them play in the opening three games, they don't have an answer. They don't have an answer. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I agree with you. Maybe a few years ago, there was high hopes for him. 
potentially he could have challenged Harry Kane for the number nine position for England or compete with him. But over the past few seasons, he's just injury prone. He's injury prone. And you can't afford to keep relying on a player who's not going to play for, for the majority of the season. Because when he does come back, Everton could be dead and buried. It could be game over for Everton. So can you rely on Calvert-Lewin for just two to three months of the season? You can't. And Sean Dyche, maybe teams have figured out what he's about. They keep talking about uh, Dyche's defensive resilience. Um, he's very resilient in terms of having a structure in place. But Everton, they look like conceding every time I watch them play. Even in the midfield. I know it's a physical midfield, Anana, Idrissa Gay, but is that a midfield that is going to score goals? Is that a midfield that's going to impact games? Is it creative enough? I don't think so. So there are a lot of problems at that football club and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is. I think Everton fans with the opening three games, most on social media, they probably think to themselves, we're going down. We're going down. And if we're being honest, it's probably been coming, to be honest. I think it reminds me very much of my team when we eventually got relegated from the Premier League. Just every year, you, you're just about to stay up every year and eventually it does come and bite you because you're just putting off the inevitable. You can't change your team and you can't add in the players that you need. I mean, Everton, it feels to me like need a, a complete refresh of what they're doing and maybe a couple of years down in the championship and you can stop blooding in younger players and, and, and changing the way that the, the club operates might be uh, what they need. The last point, um, probably the only other team I'd say that look worse than Everton, Luton, 3-0 against Chelsea. Yeah, it felt like Chelsea didn't really get out of first gear in that game. It was it was comfortable, to say the least. I feel like Luton are in danger of finishing below 20 points, finishing in the teens this season. I've not seen anything from them to suggest that they're going to score enough goals or be able to keep them out at the other end. Are you worried about Luton potentially, you know, embarrassing themselves this season and maybe finishing like Derby? You know, they got 11, I think Sunderland got 15 and 19. I think Villa finished with something like 16, 17. Are they in danger of that level this season or do you think they'll have enough at home to, to pick up enough and maybe get five wins to at least make it look a little bit respectable? Yeah, I think the key thing for Luton Town will be their home form. Like, you make a good point. I think away from home, I don't think they're going to trouble many teams um, because I just don't think they have that style in place. I know Rob Edwards, he's doing the best that he can, but I look at Luton Town, I look at the players that um, they played uh, against Chelsea, the team that started, and for me, they look like a championship team that is just in the Premier League. Like, they do not look like a Premier League team whatsoever. Um and they will struggle. They will struggle because they, they play a formation where they like to have two strikers up front. And at times they like to hit the ball long and basically cause um, defenders a bit of nuisance. But is that the type of style in, in 2023 that's going to work in the Premier League? A lot of teams are evolving. Even the teams at the, in the bottom half, they're playing an expansive style of football. And I just don't think Lewin have the capabilities to do that. Look at Brentford when they came up from the championship. Great attacking style of play that they implemented under Thomas Frank. For me, when the season started, when Brentford came up, I thought they would be a shoo-in to get relegated. But Thomas Frank and Brentford proved everyone wrong. 
implemented a style that they knew that would hurt teams. And I look at Luton, and for me, it seems from afar that they're going into games to try and keep the score down. And that's that's the wrong mindset to have. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned Derby County. 11 points, was it, that, that they hit. I think Luton will get past 11 points only because of the home form. Only because of the home form. I think that will get um, a few wins on the board for them. But, yeah... They will get relegated this season. I just don't think they're good enough. I, I touched on it. I look, I see it as a championship team that's just on loan for a season in the Premier League, just having a nice time. I don't think they're going to trouble many teams, and I can see them getting relegated quite early. To be honest, I think to be fair, they probably are a championship team that's just enjoying the year in the Premier League. I mean, they're probably not going to be too upset if they get relegated come the end of the season just pocket the money build the stadium and build the club up which there's nothing wrong with that anyway Umar thanks for joining me this morning enjoy the rest of your week and everybody who's listening thanks for listening and as well enjoy your week enjoy all the Carabao Cup football that's in midweek as we head into the final weekend before the international break <laughs>